Hello. Thanks for listening to this Dharma podcast. I hope you consider that in accordance with the Buddhist tradition, all of my work as a teacher is offered without charge and supported entirely by donations only. If you'd like to support this work, you'll find a PayPal button on dharmapunksnyc.com. The bulk of my life is providing emotional support, uh, one-on-one settings, uh, Buddhist spiritual counseling. There's this difficulty that so many people have with allowing themselves to experience a breath of relief. Give ourselves permission to stop looking for all the things that could go wrong. And certainly there always are things that could go wrong. There never will be a settled world that we live in. The world has always been a messy place. It's still important for us to be able to know how to experience times of relief, times where we're not on the edge, whether from our own personal challenges or the global challenges. I notice how vulnerable people feel when they try to uh, give themselves a even a moment to just let good news sink in or to disconnect from all of the dramas of life and just be able to find and carve out times of ease and uh, restoration. So why is it so difficult for us to do this? Why are we so hesitant to put aside our fixation with all the bad things that could happen, (laughs) all the challenges we might be facing. Well, a fundamental influence is negativity bias. The brain, as we've talked about in the past, overemphasizes threats and uh, focuses attention on all possible things that could go wrong. In other words, throughout our ancestral development, missed opportunities for food, sex, and shelter didn't really come at so great a cost. If we didn't also enjoy the fruits of our labor, that didn't come at a great cost. But if we missed a threat that did, out of the blue, uh, lead to an assault or an attack on our well-being, well, there wouldn't be any tomorrow. So, the brain is set up to prefer being safe than sorry. And that's part of being safe than sorry is the brain tends to remember and give undue influence to negative experiences. The amygdala uses two thirds of the neurons towards perceiving threats quicker. It only takes about a tenth of a second for a negative event or a possible negative event, like a hostile expression on somebody's face, to be neurally ingrained. Negative experiences are essentially stored instantly. Fear activates tension and clenching all over the body. Um, So when we feel fear, it's an almost fully embodied experience. It's not just respiration, tightening of the abdominal muscles, clenching of the uh, outer limbs, uh, tightening of the cranial nerves, constriction of the nerves in the back, and then uh, increased blood flow, all that 
pleasure and relief creates very few in comparison sensations. So we feel fear and anxiety far stronger than we feel relief. The right hemisphere, which is always associated with withdrawal and retreat behaviors, is constantly with the midbrain working in behind consciousness, neurocepting the world around us, looking for first and foremost uh, threats. So our brains are set up not to be relieved, not to prioritize the importance of relaxing, letting go, having a sigh of relief. Now, on top of this, there are other reasons why it's so difficult. 50% of us didn't experience secure uh, attachments in childhood, which embeds implicit beliefs that we can't trust others, a tendency to, a tendency to remain vigilant at all costs. Uh, people with insecure early attachment bonds tend to have higher resting heart rates, tend to be far more uh, either self-reliant or uh, emotionally overwhelmed in difficult situations, don't tend to rely on the support of a group of others to feel secure and also find it much harder to return to states of rest and digest or homeostasis. On top of that, we live in a culture of worry. Our society validates extreme self-reliance. That's the byproduct, of course, of late capitalism where we have reduced social safety nets. We basically view ourselves as independent actors, having each to be solely responsible for our survival economically, uh, psychologically, and so forth. In our culture, busyness is mistaken to be a sign of success rather than an actually unhealthy approach to life, as we'll see. It creates a sense that if we stop, relax, and settle, that something's wrong. When we're busy, things are good. When we're busy, we're productive. When we're busy, we're achieving what we should. We're on the ball where we've got our act together. If we stop, settle, focus on disconnecting and restoring a sense of ease, it means we're either negligent, we're not being diligent, we're being self-indulgent, we're not keeping our eye on the ball. And on top of all that, um, we've now created a culture of constant stimulation, of course, as everybody knows, where between the constant news items that are being fed to us on uh, as clickbait on social media scrolls, and these news items uh, frame the world as a dangerous place where people are trying to take things from us. I watched a film about uh, the media today, and there was one line where they said, the key is to, in deciding what news items to present to people, ask, what would scare my what would scare your grandmother and piss off your grandfather as that's how we determine what we're going to feed people. The key being to frighten or titillate, 
frighten or titillate people. And so this all leads towards a tendency towards what's called catastrophizing, visualizing the worst case scenarios, the idea of negativity bias and thought is that we're safer being figuring out what could go wrong. Cultural fetishizing of economists and investors who predict financial crises and make fortunes from shorting entire industries. And that creates, once again, a sense that it's somehow good to constantly be looking for what could go wrong. But there's a cost for keeping ourselves in long-term activated states. The chronic activation of the sympathetic nervous system engages the fight-flight state where the HPA axis... Uh, hypothalamus, pituitary gland, and adrenal glands are leading to the secretion of uh, adrenaline, which is not so bad in and of itself, but cortisol, which is really, unfortunately, uh, terrible for our physiological well-being, as well as psychological well-being. It's not only associated with uh, constant, intrusive, repetitive, fear-based ideations of the midline region of the brain, but also uh, it diminishes the production of white blood cells, and it leads to immune dysfunction associated with everything from diabetes to arteriosclerosis. It predicts the conversion of, of normal cognitive function to mild cognitive impairment to dementia. Um, it leads us to live our lives in a constant state of busyness, always trying to put out one fire after the next. It's a mind that doesn't settle into the present a mind that never relaxes, a mind that never actually lands in our life because it's always looking for the next thing to address. The Buddha, in his teaching on the hindrances, one of the core hindrances that the Buddha notes leads to suffering is restlessness, udhaka. Udhaka, the Buddha says, is the mind that's like a monkey swinging from one branch to another, unable to settle, unable to be satisfied with where we are, constantly on the lookouts for threats for, or looking out for where the fruit, the fruit is riper somewhere else. Uh, it summarized essentially is a mind that sees life as a series of problems that need to constantly be acknowledged and fixed and never settles and stops the fixing and solving state to actually become, uh, to rest, to actually come to a complete stop. In contrast with chronic stress, chronic tensing of the muscles, shortening of the exhalations, the physiological tensing associated with uh, being constantly vigilant and always in our head, you know, wondering what could go wrong next or 
constantly glued to the stream of information or the stream of emails or text messages or social media posts or whatever is the inhibitory state of the parasympathetic nervous system, which is what we call rest and digest or homeostasis. That's where there's health. That's where we actually are the most efficient. That's where we actually digest food. That's where we actually... Um, uh, <clears throat> connect and think outside of the box, but it's even more importantly where restoration occurs, where we uh, heal the body and mind from all of the depletion of constant moving through life, trying to put out fires, even fires that haven't started as of yet. Um, the inhibitory state of uh, feeling relief switches off the sympathetic nervous system and restores that homeostasis. Um, when we're relieved in life, when we have that, uh, that sigh of relief, we engage the vagal break. What is the vagal break? It's your vagal nerve is a core component of your central nervous system. And when your vagal nerve is engaged, uh, it slows down your heartbeat. It deactivates the HPA axis. It stems the secretion of cortisol. And it is associated with diaphragmatic breathing that's healthier. Your abdomen starts to digest food because the vagal break unclenches the muscles around the abdominal region, allowing blood to return to it. It also is... It, uh, stops the hardening of blood vessels, it improves your immune function, and it's also predominantly associated with emotional well-being. Um, the spiritual path, as the Buddha taught, starts with what he called nakama. What the hell is nakama? Nakama is, as the Buddha refer to it going against the flow of the world, which is primarily, an ex which he says is essentially putting down, uh, putting aside all that stimulates, all that keeps us restless, all that keeps us um, agitated. It doesn't mean putting it down forever. I mean, if you're uh, renunciate and you're going to take up robes and live by alms and, uh, you know, in a monastery, maybe you completely give up uh, checking in with, you know, uh, a news feed or your text messages. But for us householders, uh, what it means is carving out a time in the day where we're willing to completely disconnect for a period and disconnecting from texting, from emails, from social media, from mulling over even the issues of the world and especially mulling over the future. Why the future? Well, actually future-oriented thought activates the uh, middle prefrontal 
the uh, cortex, the ventral medial prefrontal cortex, which is associated with default mode operation, which activates the amygdala, which is the fear center. So future-oriented thinking as well as self-oriented thinking tends to become very quickly stressful, repetitive, intrusive. Um, relief means settling into the, this moment of life as it is without wanting to change anything. Um, it's about uh, putting aside, as I said, all that activates or stimulates the mind. Somebody's playing loud music outside. Uh, Wonderful sutta I uh, found by the Buddha that I've always liked. Um, let me see if I can find it. Um, he's talking with uh, a, um, a man named Badia, who apparently was a very, very rich, powerful man before he became a renunciate, gave up all his wealth, gave up all his businesses, became a renunciate, and then moved from the busy life of running a business to just living in a small hut that was empty uh, uh, in a very secluded area. And he says to the Buddha, when I was a busy householder with all of the power and responsibilities of a rich man, I had guards posted about all of my estates. But even while I was guarded and protected and rich, I lived in fear, agitated, distrustful, and afraid. Now that I'm living a simpler life in a sparse dwelling, I am without fear, unagitated, confident, unafraid, unconcerned, unruffled. I'm in a state of bliss. And so what he's done is essentially he's put aside all of the constant flow of not only external information, like the business that was agitating, but he's also put aside the internal constant need to figure out the rest of his life or what's going to happen in the future. He was willing to essentially live at least a bulk of his life in the present. So uh, that's one foundational practice of being able to uh, find relief in life. It means not trying to put aside times where we're not trying to guess or be concerned constantly with what's going to happen next or what could go wrong next or how the Republicans are going to steal the election and so forth. And to be able to just settle into right now, it's like this right now this is my life in this moment. And I don't have to abandon it by focusing on what could go, all the different things that could go wrong or constantly need to plan or fix or solve as if there's something missing inherently from this moment. A big part of finding relief in life is first, uh, reorienting our attention towards safety cues. Safety cues, what are they? Well, 
In the background, as I said, the right brain and mid-brain, such as especially the amygdala, hypothalamus, and even the brainstem, as Porga shows us, are engaged in this process called neuroception, which means fast scanning behind or pre-conscious, so we're not even aware of it, looking for um, threats, essentially. That's what the bulk of what we do, looking for signs that people are judging us or looking for signs of instability in the world or looking for anything that might require a survival behavior. And so part of um, addressing our vigilance and our uh, cultivating or carving out time to relax and experience a sigh of relief is focusing our attention on something in our environment that's soothing and constant. Soothing means it's not something that's busy or uh, that it's not loud or uh, um, disruptive in some way, but something that's easy to perceive uh, it might be looking at something natural or it might be at an image that's soothing. And constant means something that's not going to go away. So we find something in our environment that we know will remain and remain in a sort of settled state. We rest our attention on it. We settle our gaze. We slow down our respiration using diaphragmatic and abdominal breathing, which is associated with the vagal break, which in the vagal nerve, of course, is associated with a parasympathetic break that allows us to rest, that encourages to, us to relax and find ease, what the Buddha called pasadi, ease, tranquility. We titrate, which means we start speaking, acting, and moving at a slower pace. I'm not speaking right now at a very slow pace because I'm trying to get a lot of information in. But if I was titrating, I would probably be talking more like this, where I would be parsing out the information in a slower rate, and that would actually deactivate my uh, nervous system. Other practices that are really helpful in um, carving out a breath of relief in life. Um, one is literally the sigh of relief. When people breathe out and create a low tone, it actually stimulates the vagus nerve. So just like that is actually very soothing and is actually a great way to start any, it's a great way to signal to both hemispheres of the brain that it's time to put aside all of the planning, fixing, solving, the regime of regime of busyness and just to, to settle into a moment where we touch into our present lived experience in a relaxed, not needing to do or address anything state. Touch also helps, specifically touching the areas, resting a hand on the areas of the vagal nerve can actually prime vagal activation. The primary way is 
to put a hand resting it on one's heart center because that's where the uh, the vagal nerve runs down the brainstem. It then runs across to the front of the throat. One branch runs up the throat to the cranial nerves in the face, which allows us to express emotions when we're in a relaxed state. And the other branch of the vagal nerve runs down the chest to the abdomen. And so if we want to stimulate the vagal nerve, what we do is we rest our hand on the heart center and we just feel the warmth and we just breathe slowly into that warmth. A second hand, if we want, can either be put on the back of the neck, which is also where the vagal nerve runs, or it could even be placed on the front of the head, uh, face, or some people like to put hands cupped over their eyes, all of which, again, stimulate the cranial nerve, which is associated with the vagal nerve as well. And all of this are practices that um, allow us to um, find and cultivate a state of ease or a state of relief. Um, we all have baroreceptors, which are located in our sensors in our blood vessels that responds to changes in our body position. And it's been shown that when we gently rock or when we sit in a relaxed upright position, it actually induces uh, states of ease. Uh, interesting studies show that when we sit in a slumped posture, we're more likely to not only activate the sympathetic nervous system, but we're more likely to recall negative events from the past rather than relax into present stimuli. So lying on the ground in savasana in an open position or gently rocking. A lot of the monks I've studied with, it, at first it seemed to me that they were, when they would meditate, it looked like they were, they were quite still. But over time I began to see that actually, they were actually rocking very slowly with the breath, which was activating the baroreceptors and allowing them to experience a greater state of ease. Um, and in the last two practices, and all of these, by the way, we're going to be doing in the meditation, so uh, we're actually going to be putting these into practice, is to, to embed positive experiences, positive events, rather than constantly allow the mind to drift into the future of what could go wrong. We actually embed positive, enriching experiences that have actually just occurred. So enriching means to hold an image in our mind, to breathe slowly and relax the body as we hold this enriching image in our mind. For me, it will be for a while, the image of being at um, Washington Square Park in the city on Saturday when there was this spontaneous eruption of sheer joy at the news that uh, Trump had lost. 
and there was just dancing everywhere and people were just in a state of just bliss and celebration and the image was were so wonderful and so i can just hold that image in my mind and it takes 12 seconds to activate a soothing because it only takes a tenth of a second for fear or negative stimuli but it takes 12 seconds of holding an image to begin to settle um and lastly uh another way to cultivate a state of ease is to create the feeling of a secure base in life which is to visualize people that uh, really care about us, that are, uh, that are there, that are available, that are resources, that are people we can rely on or people that we care about, people that we play a positive role in their life. The brain in the dorsal anterior cingulate cortex um, rewards pro-tribal reflections and visualizations by raising the level of endorphins in 5-HT or serotonin, which creates a healthier mood disposition, as also when we have higher levels of endorphins, we feel more relaxed. So in summary, some of the practices we're going to be doing is one, of course, in the meditation, we're going to be disconnecting from all of the stuff that stimulates us, including looking at the image of me on the screen yabbing away. And we're just gonna be closing our eyes or allowing our gaze to settle on something soothing in our environment. We're gonna titrate by moving and breathing very slowly. We're going to at one time, we're going to stimulate the vagal nerve by resting a hand on our heart center, if we like, if we so choose. And we can also do the second of putting a hand on the back. We're breathing in a way that's really um, settling, developing a kind of rhythm that where we might even be very subtly uh, rocking forward and back if that's something that you naturally can develop. If it feels awkward, don't do it. And then we're going to be trying to embed positive experiences, either events or images uh, associated with good news in the world, or just by remembering and reflecting on people in our life who are uh, have shown signs of care and uh, reliability. So that's my talk on the sigh of relief. Uh, I hope something in there was interesting. Uh, next week I have a, I'm doing a talk on infatuation, preoccupation. Uh, so preoccupation with people. But tonight we're talking about a sigh of relief. And if you'd like to, of course, uh, support the work I do as a Buddhist pastor, uh, the Venmo is Dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A-P-U-N-X-N-Y-C. 
PayPal's on the Dharma Punks website or the podcast, which is also Dharma Punks NYC. If you look that up, you can find all the last 600 and God knows how many odd talks I've given in the last 15 years. Uh, Mind-boggling. So thanks for listening, and let's just find a comfortable position If you'd like to lie down on the ground or on a bed, that's fine. If you want to sit up, that's great. Uh, What I ask is that you don't look at the whatever you've been looking at to see me while I've given this talk. So either close your eyes or look at something in the your uh, setting that is soothing and constant. And we're going to start with the Buddhist practice of Nakama. We're going to reel back in our awareness from all of the busyness in the world around us. Uh, So that's not just sight, but the mind that wants to hear all of the sounds around us and all of the traffic and all that, we're just going to reel back our awareness into the body. So we're highlighting interoception, awareness of all the uh, sensations that are occurring internally. And we're just going to start inclining the breath towards the settling diaphragmatic breath that stimulates the vagal nerve. And essentially that's long, very smooth, complete inhalations and exhalations. The exhalation should be as long as possible, not cut off. And uh, sometimes we, when we're engaged in restorative breathing, you might feel first the belly expanding and then the chest. And then as we release the breath, we first feel the chest releasing and then the abdomen. So on the inhalation, the abdomen and chest expand and then on exhalation, they release. And when we release the breath, when we exhale, we try to allow all the muscles in the associated with the vagal nerve, the chest and the abdomen to fully relax when the abdominal muscles are relaxed, the blood returns, aids digestion, and of course that deactivates the fight-flight state.
renouncing while we do this all of the uh, thoughts about the future, about ourself, how we compare with others, what's going to happen to us, all the unresolved issues, we're putting them aside. Essentially, we don't only have news feeds on our uh, phones and laptops. We also have uh, ongoing news feeds in our mind as thoughts about uh, what we need to do, what haven't we done, how we are doing in life and all that. We're just putting all of those uh, aside. It's a form of renunciation. We're just putting them aside for a little while. We're just settling into awareness only of present time sensations, sensations that are real. For instance, the sensation of your body breathing or other physiological sensations. We're trying to come to a complete stop, like we've been essentially taking a, a break from the race that life can devolve into this constant sense that we're trying to get to another time in the future where things will be better or resolved when we live in that mind state that there's some future time that we have to get to, all that is, as they say, is racing towards death or racing towards the imaginary. What we're doing is we're putting all that aside and just coming to a complete stop here now, nothing to do, nothing to fix, Nothing to solve, nothing to address, nothing to resolve. And we can signal that we're doing this by having a nice sigh of relief. Just taking a full in-breath and mm, just a long, slow out-breath and making a sound that resonates into the heart center. Uh, just like what we do when we've come to the end of a long day and we finally 
uh, reach that place where we give ourselves permission to to put aside all the activity. One more sigh of relief if that's something that feels right. Mm. And then we put, if you'd like, a hand on the heart center and just feel the warmth feeling the hands as if it's the hand of someone we love resting on our heart, a healing touch, and just allowing that feeling of being held resonate with a heart center, a vagal nerve. Mm. So we'll sit for a little while just trying to be with present sensations. And every time the mind tries to drift somewhere else, the, the monkey mind, as the Buddha referred to it, jumping from one branch to another, just encourage the mind to just stay put right here, right now. There's nothing missing in this moment. Everything you need to experience a break, a relief, everything you need to let go and settle is right here in this moment. There's nothing missing. So let's just embrace this opportunity
Again, if you can breathe in a really full way to the point that you feel the body slightly rocking forward and back, lifting up a little and slightly arching back with the in-breath, and perhaps releasing forward with the exhalation. Mm.
So at this point, we're going to practice embedding positive experiences or images to help uh, deepen a sense of relief, a sense of being secure. And so what we can do is either bring to mind a positive experience something that we feel grateful for, perhaps a time where we uh, saw something beautiful or were outdoors and felt at one with our environment or some positive outcome of late. And just hold the image in our mind and just try to, while we hold that image, just give it the uh, time that it needs to sink in. Positive experiences require so much more uh, time. We need to savor the positive rather than just noting it, letting it go. Savor something that creates a sense of renewed appreciation, a sense of relief, savoring it, enriching the experience by just really trying to extend any degree of ease that's associated with this image in the body, lingering with the experience, lingering with the feeling that this image evokes. It could also, the image could be simply holding in mind uh, an image of someone we feel close to or someone who we feel a sense of affiliation or bond a sense of connection, visualize them looking at us with a soothing expression and lingering on that image. And as we linger, really trying to spread the ease throughout the body. Hmm.
So in a moment, I'm going to ring the bowl. When you hear the sound, just take your time and try to bring any, any even the slightest uh, change towards a relaxed or settled disposition with you. Don't allow the mind to return to external awareness with the same agenda of needing to push or rush through life, but the same receptive, present-oriented, relaxed state, at least that we've been trying to cultivate in our practice. <clears throat> 